Would you rise, please, for the hearing of the gospel story? Luke says, The same day the women found the tomb empty and told that to the disciples, two of Jesus' followers were walking to Emmaus, seven miles away from Jerusalem. Suddenly, as they were talking about everything that had happened, Jesus himself came and began walking with them. But God stopped them from recognizing him. Jesus asked, what are you talking about? And they stopped short, sadness on their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard everything that's happened. What's happened, Jesus asked. What happened to Jesus? The man from Nazareth, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles, a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and the people, but our religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he would be the Messiah come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago, but early this morning, some of the women from our group went to the tomb, and they came back with this amazing story. They said his body was missing and that there were angels there that had told him Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough the body was gone. But none of us saw Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, you fools. You find it so hard to believe what the prophets wrote in the scripture. Wasn't it predicted the Messiah would have to suffer before entering glory? Then Jesus took them through the writing of Moses and the prophets explaining all the scriptures concerning himself. By this time, they were near Emmaus, and Jesus acted if he was going on. But they begged him, stay the night with us, it's late. So he went home, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and in a flash, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn when we walked on the road? And he opened the scriptures. And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples all they had seen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Easter is about uh, miracles. And it's about mistaken identities, and it's about confusion and doubt. Uh, We live in a world that loves the stories of mistaken identity. There's even a new TV series that's out, Prince Harry Lookalikes, that you want to date. Who would believe it? I have a very good friend who looks so much like another famous person that when, literally, whenever he went to Colorado, people would come up and badger him for his autograph. He finally started signing his name so that people would not think that John Denver was a jerk. <laughs> we have undercover bosses that show what it's like when we go underground. In our congregation, uh, Lindsey Vaughn, the, champions, uh, the championship skier, is a, her mom is a member here. And... Uh, And she says, everybody recognizes Lindsay on the slopes or on the skis, but the other day she went as a trainee and sold lift tickets at Vail, and not one person all morning recognized her, and they all were angry later that they had missed talking to Lindsay Vaughn. 
It's about mistaken identity and surprises. Easter is supposed to be a surprise. Otherwise, it just turns into a a religious Easter parade. From the very beginning, the gospel meant good news. Because it tells things that we don't expect, that we aren't inclined to believe, and that we cannot understand. That's the news. Did we really expect that if the creator of the whole universe told us some news, it would be something we could have dreamed up for ourselves? Certainly the first followers of Jesus had no clue. They just did not understand. Today's story is about two of them who are on the road to Emmaus. We don't know a thing about Emmaus, where it was, why this little village was important to these two who were going there. Maybe they were going home after watching Jesus die. Maybe they were afraid to stay in Jerusalem and so they were hiding out. We, we really don't know, but the text tells exactly how far Emmaus is from Jerusalem. It's seven miles away, an afternoon's walk. So apparently, Emmaus is a place to go and get away from your disappointment. Emmaus is where you go and where I go when you have to get away. Because the person or the event or the thing that you are counting on has let you down. Maybe the road to Emmaus is the road back home. Or maybe the disappointment is on the road back to work or to a new job. Maybe Emmaus leads to church that lets you down. It doesn't need to be very far away. It's only about seven miles away from your last disappointment, probably less than seven miles to your next disappointment. It's the road that we all spend a lot of time on to Emmaus. What makes this journey different is that it says, and then Jesus joined them on the road to disappointment, on the road to Emmaus. The power of Easter is that somehow Jesus is supposed to join us on the road. The most striking thing about the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection is that nobody recognizes him. Mary thinks that he is just a gardener in the cemetery. Peter is out fishing and he thinks that Jesus is just some guy on the shore asking if he's catching anything. And Cleopas, here on the road, thought that this was just a stranger making idle conversation. Even today, I don't know that it's that much different. I, I don't know how the stranger on the road appears to you But if it's the risen Christ, he won't appear the way that you expect. The strangest thing this year for me is that when the Savior comes, he does not save the day in the nick of time. You know the way the hero in the story is? Just in the nick of time. Well, this time, he doesn't show up. Easter proclaims hope that comes after the nick of time has already come and gone. Cleopas and his friend are on the road because they've suffered crushing loss. And then they heard these confusing, unbelievable stories about empty tombs and women talking about angels. But then they looked right at Jesus and they said, but none of us have seen him. And that's when the stranger gives us the first hint about how you see Jesus on the road. The stranger comes up and he turns to them and he said, you idiots, you fools. 
That's our first hint. Jesus never went to seminary. It, it really, in, in seminary, I, I, I learned that you need to be empathic, reflective listener. What I hear you saying in your crisis is this. We're supposed to be encouraging. Oh, that's an interesting idea. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, that's a question we can talk about later. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He just says, hey, foolish. It's foolish not to see that hope is here written down in the Scripture. Jesus reminds them that the the promise of the prophets was never that the Messiah was there to restore their dreams. The Messiah had not come to bring the good life to his followers. What the prophets promised was that the Messiah would come and the Messiah would die. And then after all the plans that I have for God in my life, that you have for the good things God's supposed to do for you, after all those dreams die, only then do people on the road see Jesus rise from the dead and catch a glimpse of him, just a glimpse, offering a new way to live that could only come from heaven. First, it's about the death, and only then the life. These men on the road are trying to make sense out of the disappointment that comes to every human life. The disappointment and the fear that comes to you. Just like us. They're on this road because they don't have the big story. They think life is just about the last good time they had or the big disappointment or the fear that's just ahead. And as they bounce from despair to hope to joy, there's no big picture. What Jesus says is, hey, idiots, it's all written down here. There's a big story that you're missing and you're part of the big story. And he opens the book. And he says, the story starts when God said, let there be light, and there was light. You could be part of the story, Jesus says, if you're like Moses and all those Hebrew slaves who see Pharaoh's army coming at them at the edge of the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, the earth shatters, and they walk on the water. You could believe that you're part of the same story that let the apostle Paul sing in jail. And believe that if he dies with Christ, then he'll rise with Christ. What if you're like Cleopas and the stranger could come up to you today and say, join me, join me in the story. Then you wouldn't have to bounce around between disappointment and the consumption of the next thing that's sure to change everything. Living a little life. We live these little lives that end in little deaths. Instead, you might have a death-defying, life-giving hope no matter how many days you have left. You could be a person who gets caught up in looking for Jesus and walking down that road to see Christ's mission in the world fulfilled. But according to Jesus, to get a glimpse of him, you have to know the story of the scriptures. Because after you've caught a glimpse of him on the road, life is never supposed to be the same. That's the first hint. We catch glimpses of Jesus in the scripture. Here's, Here's the second one. At Easter, Jesus does not answer everybody's questions. 
They've got all kinds of questions, and he stays with them, and he, he tells them a story, and then he feeds them. And as he feeds them, they start to remember that just 70 or 72 hours before, we had a meal just like this, didn't we? And he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he, and he broke it. And he said to them, do this to remember me. When you do this, you'll recognize me. So when we gather together, when we walk on the road together and we come into this place and we go around this table, we see him lifted up and we catch glimpses around the meal of Jesus. Let me me give you the last hint for seeing Jesus even on Easter. A friend of mine named Mike has been here about 12 years now, and he came, and he was not a Christian, not a follower of Jesus, but his wife was, and he says, and I'm here because my wife says I need to do something because I'm so angry. And I said, why are you mad? He goes, well, I, I was part of a firm that start, was a startup, and it did really well, and this last couple months, we've had an IPO, and they're buying us out for millions and millions. And I said, whoa, sounds bad. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. My boss promised me this, and I'm only getting this. He goes, I know, I know, it's far more than I ever thought I'd get five years ago, but he promised me this, and I'm getting this. Why am I so angry? Why do I feel so empty with all that I've gotten? I don't believe, but let's talk. And over the weeks that followed, Mike and some of our friends read the scriptures and asked a lot of questions. And he came to me one day and he says, yeah, I've seen him. I I, I believe in Jesus now and I, I believe that Jesus has forgiven me for being such a schmuck. And and he wants me to learn to forgive my boss. And and then Mike goes out and he doesn't start another company. He doesn't join a big company. He doesn't bank his money. He he goes to an organization here in the cities called Twin Cities Rise. And he becomes their director. It's an organization that tries to give convicted felons the first job they've ever had in their life primarily African-American men who don't even know how to work. And he says, John, when I, when I go there during the day and I, I try to teach these guys how to put on a tie and, and they turn sideways, I, I swear, John, I can see Jesus. I can see, how is that? And, and, I, and I said to Mike, it's, it's because you found that part of the story where Jesus says, you fed me and you clothed me and and you visited me. And the people, his followers will say, when did we see you? And he'll say, when you fed the hungry and you clothed the naked. You visited the prisoner. You were helping me. We see glimpses of Jesus when we serve. You know, I love the way this story ends. The passage uh, ends very realistically. It says, the men returned from Emmaus with all the others. Jesus himself is suddenly standing there. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened. They thought they were still seeing a ghost just after they'd been talking about him. They were confused. And some days, so am I. And I bet some days, so are you. 
The great gift of Easter is that it's challenging to believe. The gift of Easter is that you're going to get it wrong, and that's okay. It's not about you. It's okay to have doubts, because it's not about you. Matter of fact, Matthew's story of this says, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, and some doubted. Just one long sentence. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped, and some doubted, all at the same time. How about you? You ever struggle with that? You, you ever wonder if you're having trouble seeing the real Jesus in your heart by faith? You ever feel like somehow you're out on that road to Emmaus, disappointed with your faith? Welcome to the community. We want to be a community that celebrates life and acknowledges doubt, that looks at questions and isn't afraid when we have doubts about the most important things in life and addresses those doubts and questions without pretense or faking it. Can I just, just for one minute, show you what that might look like? Next week, we want to talk about that part of the story. And for the three weeks after that, some saw him and worshipped him and some doubted. Maybe everybody doubts sometime. Why don't you come back next week and if you have a friend with questions or doubts, maybe you could bring her. Right now, they're on the road to Emmaus. Because remember, Easter is the day when you don't have to get it all right. The resurrection proves the power of grace. It shows that love never stops giving, that the risen Christ comes on the road with us, that we all need help. We all need help seeing Jesus on the road. The early church used to make up stories that would talk about the Jesus people saw on the road. And one of those stories early on said that the devil one day decided to sneak into heaven, gets a bunch of demons, disguises them in angels, and comes to the gates of heaven and knocks and says, let me in. Now you guys know that it says the devil knows scripture. And so he shouts out the words of Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be opened up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Well, the angel guards are thrilled that their king, who they thought was dead, is outside the gates, and they call out the next line in the psalm that says, who is this king of glory? And the devil stretches wide his arms and says, I am, like Jesus, I am. And looking down from the walls, the angels see the devil's hands and know 
that this is not the King of glory. The only one who can open the gates of heaven to you still bears the scars of love on his hands. This side of the cross, this side of the tomb, we need to know that our hope is not to avoid loss or doubt or death. Our hope rises from the dead. Our hope rises from the dead. Lord Jesus, you started out your sermon by saying, blessed are the poor. Well, blessed are the liars, and blessed are the doubters, and blessed today are the fakers and the thieves and the lusters. Blessed are those overcome by depression or anger or grief. Blessed are those who walk on the road. Like that woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair in gratitude or, or these men who got a glimpse of Jesus living on the road. When God has made us right, we have more to rejoice. We were deep in doubt and far down the road of disappointment, but our Savior came back for us. He's alive, and now we are free to follow. Lord Jesus, make our hearts burn within us like that day so long ago and meet us on the road of eternal life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.